This is the Save the Damn Score podcast with your host, Logan Anderson. Before we start this podcast today, I want to take a quick second and apologize. I don't know if my VU meter wasn't working or if I was just not paying close enough attention, but the levels on Mike Henriksen's side of the board are not especially good. They spike into the red a little bit and there's some crackle and pop What he says is still audible, and most of the time it's okay, but, you know, as a radio professional, it should be better than that, and I apologize. Please don't let that discourage you from listening to Mike's excellent story. Welcome back, everybody, to the Say the Damn Score podcast here on SayTheDamnScore.com or iTunes or now Stitcher. You can find it, certainly. We're trying to expand it as much as possible, and... Of course, I'm located in South Dakota, and I haven't had a South Dakotan sportscaster on yet, so we're going to bring on Mike Henriksen for this episode. And Mike is the co-host of Calling All Sports, as what they say, the most listened-to talk show in South Dakota. He is also uh, the owner of Sportsmax, that specializes in telling sports stories from South Dakota, and... He's also freelance with the South Dakota Public Television. He'll freelance on radio, on pretty much anywhere else. Where have you not freelanced, Mike? Uh, it would be tough to uh, to narrow that down. Thanks so much for having me on, Logan. I appreciate this. It's my pleasure. And the first thing that I get to with just about everybody is, what is your first break into the business? So there's so many different paths, and so many of them are almost... Uh, impossible to replicate. I know you're a native Nebraskan like me. What was your first break that got you your first job out of school? Well, my uh, first job out of school actually was was very unique because I was going to I went to Dana College in in Blair, Nebraska, which <laughs> is no longer there. Well, it's and, still there. Uh, it's just uh, not <laughs> open. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And then I uh, I ended up uh, up at Augustana and. I had kind of muddled around and was wondering what was what were some of the opportunities and you know I had done Augustana College radio when I was there uh, that was great fun to cover Augie in those days and to do football and basketball but I had ended up back in Nebraska and was you know doing something else and I actually ended up talking to the late, great Norm Hilson from WNAX. South Dakota State University was playing the University of Nebraska in basketball, uh, and uh, I went to the game. And I, I went down and talked to Norm Hilson before the game, and I introduced myself. He, had, he and I had met a couple of times, covered you know similar events. But I, I, just, I kind of asked him, I said, listen, are there, are there any opportunities out there? Are there... You know, is this something worth pursuing, really, as, as much as anything, was, was my question at the time. And Norm basically said, yes, it's definitely worth pursuing. Uh, if you've got a passion for it, keep looking. And I ended up, I found a job. It was in Radio and Records magazine, I believe, in Gregory, South Dakota. 
there was a gentleman that owned the theater in Gregory, South Dakota, and had spent 10 years trying to get a 100,000-watt radio station on the air out in the middle of south-central South Dakota. And they had an opportunity, and so I applied, and I ended up getting it. And so suddenly I found myself having to find out where exactly Gregory, South Dakota was, and I did, and I moved the family. We had a couple of, of kids at that time, and still do, by the way, and uh, moved up to Gregory, South Dakota. And I started broadcasting, you know, doing the air shift and doing production and all of those types of things. But I was doing games. And we had a rather unique situation because we were in Gregory, which is a town of 2,500 or so, but we also covered a huge expanse of northern Nebraska and south-central South Dakota. And so what we ended up doing, and this is in the early 80s, I think it was 82, we ended up going out to these towns in the area and providing phone lines and a phone. Back in those days, a phone that you actually plugged into a phone line and saying, okay, we are going to pick out a game that we are going to be broadcasting, that I was broadcasting, but we would also, during breaks, we would go and we would check in with how is the game going in winter that winter was playing, or how is the game going that Kippah County in Nebraska was playing, or how is the game going in Bone Steel. It was very unique at the time. Now it happens on a semi-regular basis, but it almost was like we put together our own network of correspondence. Now, this network of correspondence were guys that, you know, ran the grocery store but went to every game, or the guy that, you know, was just a big fan or had a son on the team. And, and we would call them. We had a guy running the board, and we'd call and go, you know, Gregory leads, or Bonesteel Fairfax leads uh, Burke, you know, 17 to 6, and here's how it happened. And we'd just, do those types of updates. So that was really my first big break as far as my first real sportscasting job when it came to doing sports. And your next couple jobs were around small towns in South Dakota and Nebraska. You were in Crete, Nebraska, Madison, South Dakota, Mitchell, South Dakota, and Vermilion, South Dakota. You know, just take us quickly through your progression before you got your big break and got into Sioux Falls. Then we'll get into that as we go a little bit farther. Well, a lot of that was just, uh, uh, I wanted, I've known that I wanted to be a broadcaster and specifically a sportscaster since I was about nine or ten years old. I grew up as a pig farmer in Hampton, Nebraska, a town of 350 people, and it was a very sports-rich town. Uh, at one time, they held the record for most basketball wins in a row. Uh, in Nebraska high school sports, we won 30 football games in a row, those types of things. Now, granted, they did all of that after I moved. In ninth grade, my family ended up moving to Lincoln, Nebraska. And uh, the good news was, I'm not sure, had we not moved, if I would have figured out a way for a pig farmer from Hampton, Nebraska, 
to become a broadcaster. You know what I'm saying? They're just, there aren't those, okay, point A, point B, point C type of moves that, that you make in that situation. So for me, it was very, very fortunate that I ended up moving from a graduating class of 19 in a town of 350 to a graduating class of 1,150 kids at Lincoln Southeast High School in Lincoln, Nebraska. We ended up, we had speech classes that I could take. We had a daily uh, show that was over the PA each day that was, you know, three minutes with the school announcements and, you know, those types of things and a little news update from around the, the uh, school from various programs and departments. Uh, and so from that, I could actually see that, oh, okay, I, people are listening to what I'm saying. I could go and visit the local radio station on a field trip or whatever and, and ask the guys that were involved in it uh, how they did it. And I could actually, being in Lincoln, listen to a ton of radio stations that I could listen to sports on. So, yes, I moved around from station to station. Each station that I lived in seemed to, or that I was at seemed to be a little bit better opportunity from the standpoint of, you know, a little bit more money or a little bit more sports or whatever the case may be. And there were a couple of stations that I didn't even do sports at. But I was in Mitchell, South Dakota in 1988, and I had been doing a ton of sports up to that point in time and really enjoying it. Uh, and I mostly, I was never the guy, whether I was in Madison I wasn't the guy that did Madison High. I was the guy who did the small towns around Madison. Usually the game was on the on the other station. Uh, I did do some Dakota State when I was in Madison. But when I was in Mitchell, I wasn't doing Mitchell High Colonel games. I was doing the small towns in the area. In 1988, I was also doing some stand-up comedy at the time. And I was sort of the house MC at a comedy club that had just opened down in Sioux Falls. And it was that was great training because I would actually go down to be the house MC and I'd, you know, come up with two or three different jokes that I wanted to tell that night. And if they worked, I kept them. If not, nobody had paid to see me, so I'd just rework them or throw them away or whatever. In nineteen eighty eight, I am hosting an amateur comedy night in Sioux Falls. And it was one of those nights where athletes always talk about being in the zone. Well, I was in the zone that night. And it was one of those nights where, you know, all of the, the mind was working well, all of the lines were coming quickly. Um, and part of it was there were a lot of people who were on stage for the first time that night, and I wanted to make sure that I wasn't, you know, shown up by some of the, the newbies. I wanted to be on top of my game. Two of the people that were judging that contest did the morning show at uh, Kello Radio, which was the number one rated radio station in Sioux Falls. And I ended up just, like I say, it was a great show, but there were a couple of lines I remembered. I said, you know, by the way, if you hear anything that you really like tonight, make sure you tune in to Kello AM 1320 because these guys will be stealing this stuff for the next four weeks or so. And I'm driving back to Mitchell, and I told a buddy of mine who had ridden over there that night, I said, well, there's another radio station I'll never work at, you know, in my life. And it turns out that a couple of weeks later, they called me. 
and they said, we'd really like you to come and be the afternoon guy. Well, at that point in time, I was kind of thinking still in terms of sports, and Midco, uh, who now owns Midco Sports Network, et cetera, that's who owned Kello. And I thought, you know what? I'll go to that company, and I'll get my foot in the door, and I'll go ahead, because at that point in time, they owned the rights to University of Wisconsin uh, broadcast. They owned the Milwaukee Brewers, I believe, at the time, the broadcast rights, uh, Wichita State, and some of the stuff out of the Twin Cities. And I thought, I'll just go and get my foot in the door, and I'll go and become the third-string sideline guy for the University of Wisconsin, and, you know, after that, my career will take off. I ended up, because of that move, not doing sports for like five years. Now, it worked out fine because we did end up being, I ended up doing mornings there, and we ended up with very good ratings, et cetera, but I really missed sports. And when I got back into doing sports, there were so many people in Sioux Falls that said, I had no idea that you could do sports. Well, that's what I had done for the 12 years, you know, prior to achieving Sioux Falls. But that was really a big break, was the opportunity just to be around some of the teams and some of the coaches and that sort of thing in Sioux Falls. So, you know, I and it, that's an incredibly long answer, which I, you know, you knew you were going to get out of me because we've known each other for a while. But I did, I'm, I guess I'm still looking for my big break. You know what I'm saying? This, I'm not where I ever thought that I would be, but I am just enjoying the devil out of where I am. You know, does that answer the question? It sure does, and it's learned some new stuff about you. I had no idea you were in stand-up before. Did, do you remember any of your jokes? Oh, several of them. Give, I, as a give of, us your best one. I, oh, gosh. I, 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 I talk, and as a matter of fact, I still do it. Every, you know, twice a year or so, I, I still go out and, and do, you know, benefits and that sort of thing. But it's just, let's just say that even if you didn't think I was funny, you would still know what I was talking about. Because <laughs> I make a, you know, a lot of fun of Lutherans, and I make, you know, jokes about the difference between Lutherans and Catholics, and the Corn Palace, and Mount Rushmore, and, you know, all of the things in, in South Dakota. Um, so, yeah, I was I was very fortunate. I've opened for... Williams and Reed several times, and and uh, uh, several other folks. It it was it was great fun, and I still enjoy that aspect of life. But it was to the point where my kids were getting to be a certain age, and I didn't want to be on the road all that much. So uh, that's why I I got back into radio and and specifically back into sports. What aspects of comedy help you in sports casting? Preparation. Um, preparation, uh, is always the key, uh, to no matter what it is that, that you're doing in life, I think. And yet at the same time, the ability to be spontaneous and to see things in a different light. My brain is wired a little bit differently than other people's are. If you have the ability to do stand-up comedy, that just is a given that your brain works differently. Um... Has it gotten me in trouble sometimes? Yes, it has. But in general, if a moment pops up, I'm usually able to seize it. Not always in the proper way, but I will still make the run at, uh, at seizing that moment. 
So how often do you try, do you find yourself trying to infuse little jokes into your games? That's something that I know a lot of people have kind of different thoughts on. I like to do it from time to time. I think it livens up, especially if it's a blowout type of game. I guess, how do you handle that? Do you ever catch yourself doing that? Oh, constantly. I go back to the days. I'm, I'm 57 years old. I'm going to be 58. When I was growing up, I was listening to radio stations that played Motown next to country, next to hard rock. Next, you know, it was, that was what the top 40 format was. And I learned back then that if you are on the radio, and I had a couple of good manners about this, too, but if you are on the radio, you need to be entertaining. And whether that is on the radio as a disc jockey or on the radio as a play-by-play guy, you still need to be entertaining. There are an awful lot of bad, bad basketball and football games that we are going to broadcast in our lives. Is there any reason for a person to stick around to listen to the end of that game, or frankly, even the last, you know, half of that game, unless the person that is on the air is at least making the effort to be enthusiastic and entertaining? And so I have always incorporated that. I remember listening to Chip Carey. Uh, to go back a few years, at the, the beginning of cable television, Chip Carey was one of the guys, excuse me, Skip Carey, his dad. Skip Carey was one of the guys on TBS that was doing Atlanta Braves games. Well, the Braves were awful, but Skip Carey was hilarious. And so consequently, you would stick around for the end of that particular game. I grew up listening on the radio to a guy by the name of Eddie Doucette. Now, Eddie Doucette did Milwaukee Bucks basketball. In between me listening to KOMA rock and roll radio and, and stations out of Little Rock and Chicago and Omaha, for that matter, Eddie Doucette, he's the guy who named Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's shot the Skyhook. He's the guy who gave us so many of the terms we still use today when it comes to basketball. If any young broadcaster is out there and wants to Google Eddie Doucette, that guy was an entertainer as much as being a great basketball broadcaster. And he ended up actually on USA Network back when USA had uh, the NBA games back in the early days, again, of cable. Eddie Doucette was a guy who was very entertaining. He and Skip Carey were two of the guys. They kept you around no matter what the game was. So from that standpoint, going back and infusing the comedy and, and infusing the personality, that's just always kind of been the way that I am. Is there a line where it can be too much uh, entertainment and comedy that you have to tow without, getting, without losing track of the game, so to speak? Completely. Uh, a prime example right now is uh, Bob Euchre. Bob Euchre, when you listen to, to Bob and... and through the beauty of, of satellite radio, we can listen to Bob. When that game, the, the reason Bob Euchre is in the Hall of Fame isn't because of his humor. The reason he's in the Hall of Fame is because he's a great broadcaster. If the game is tight, 
Bob is not going to bring his incredible humor into that broadcast. He's going to focus on the game. He's going to be the eyes and ears. He's going to let you know what's going on. He's going to do all of those things. If the game is 6-2, to two, for instance, for a Brewers game, Bob is going to get a lot funnier, especially if, if they're losing. Because of that fact, he goes back to keeping you around, giving you a reason to stick around, giving you a reason to listen to those advertisers who have laid down that cash for you to hear their message. He's going to give you a reason to stick around and enjoy that. A nice segue, talking about comedy in broadcasting. Tell us a funny story, or I like to call them horror stories, but they're basically funny to broadcasters, where you found yourself in a situation covering a game probably in the middle of nowhere, northern Nebraska or south-central South Dakota. I've been to a lot of those places. I know that they're uh, sometimes difficult and unique broadcasting conditions, we'll call them. Give us an example of of a horror story or a funny story that you had to go through early in your career. I'm in Gregory, South Dakota. I am broadcasting a game from Geddes, South Dakota. Geddes doesn't even have a school anymore. But that year, Geddes is good. And I end up, I'm broadcasting a game in Geddes, South Dakota. Population maybe 300 at that time. I get to the uh, football field, and first of all, I had forgotten to call the superintendent to ask permission. He had helped install the phone line, but I had not let him know that I was coming. That was a very, very valuable lesson, because he came over and chewed me from here to Tuesday. Now his, he and I are great friends, Rich Rockefeller. Uh, people in South Dakota that are involved in baseball know The Rock. He has been a baseball umpire and track official and administrator for a lot of years. But he says, I'm really sorry, Mike, we don't have, you know, a broadcast booth for you. He takes me. This is the first time that Geddes has ever been on the radio. He takes me to what used to be the baseball concession stand. I am standing on top of the baseball concession stand. Geddes has no time clock and no scoreboard. And this is their first radio broadcast. The good news is this is about 1982, so it's the advent of Walkmans. Almost everyone in the stand has Walkmans on. I can't see the field from the 20-yard line in on the one side because I'm so far away from the field and everyone is standing. So I'm guessing, Logan, I'm just guessing. Sweep left, ball down at the 8-yard line. The crowd would turn around and go, it's at the 6! It was hilarious. But, but this game is also taking forever. And again, there's no score clock. Because Geddes is just absolutely rolling in this game, so it's taking forever. So I end up, it's the, about the fourth quarter near as I can tell, because they've, they've switched sides again. Suddenly, there are several drunks that have discovered where I'm broadcasting from. And I'm just standing on top of this concession stand with a princess phone. And again, for younger people, go back and Google this. I'm standing up there. And suddenly, 
there are some drunks that discover where I am broadcasting from. And they decide to join me on top of this concession stand. And they are swigging whiskey. They got the bottle right there with them. They are doing things off the back of the concession stand that I'll just leave to the imagination here. <laughs> and another one leans in, puts his arm around, oh, drinking whiskey, Mom. You listening? <laughs> that was probably the worst. Uh, How's that? Funny. Does that qualify? I think it qualifies. Here's the other thing, though. I'm new in my career. This is, you know, this is my first full time. Oh, you got to be mortified. <laughs> oh, I am absolutely mortified. Not only that, I know that our competition in winter. I had already gotten a report. Remember, this is in Gregory, so I'm I'm hearing the reports from around the area. So I know that our competition radio station in winter, they're like done with their game almost halfway through the third quarter. I am absolutely so worried that those guys are driving back from their game listening to this and just howling in the car. I, that, was, that was the other thing that, that came across that night was my mortification at, uh, at all of this. The good news is, you know, back to the name of this, this uh, uh, the webcast that you do, I kept giving the score and I kept giving the time. That's all anyone really cares about when it comes down to it, right? It really is. Honestly, that's what it boils down to. And, again, I had some good folks teach me this early. As much as we would love to believe it was different, people aren't hanging on our every word. They're doing stuff. They're in the garage. They're in and out of the car. They're, whatever it may be, they want to know, does my team have a chance to win? Period. So, therefore, what's the score and how much time is left? They'll, they'll know from that whether or not their team has a chance to win. And they'll, they should know that in a very short period of time from turning on your broadcast. So since you, after that point, you went to Sioux Falls, South Dakota, which for those of you not paying attention is the largest market in South Dakota, and it's not close. It's really the only major city that you would really consider of a metropolitan area in South Dakota. And it's basically at the top, and you currently do a show called Calling All Sports where you syndicate it across the state. You talk about mostly Sioux Falls stuff, but you talk about all South Dakota stuff. How did you get into that show? And I want to get more into the way that you the way that you do this show as we go further. But first just give us the story leading into its existence. Well, I tell you what, in two thousand one a good friend of mine, longtime sportscaster in South Dakota named Tom Maxwell, was killed in a car accident. And he had a syndicated show that he had started a couple of years before that. He was at a Mitchell, and he was doing a show called Sportsmax. And it was a rather new idea in this part of the world. The funny thing is, back then, with the technology being what it was, Tom would record everything on reel-to-reel, and then he would live, at, you know, edit it with the with the... Um, razor blade, and then he would dub it in real time. I think he was on 10 or 11 stations at the time, and then he would dub it in real time onto 10 or 11 cassette tapes and then put that in the mail. And so, like, we're recording this on a Tuesday. If he were doing his interview on a Tuesday, it would be for the following Friday, so 10 or 11 days down the road, because it would take that long to get put together. 
He passed away. His wife took that over for a while. In 2007, she was struggling with the show. I had been doing an afternoon sports talk show on KWSN in Sioux Falls with Craig Maddox, and I decided that I would really like to just work for myself. I enjoyed Craig as a partner. It was wonderful, but it was just time. And to kind of save the legacy of Tom a little bit, I asked her if she'd be interested in selling Sportsmax. She was, so I took that over. So I got that up to now. It's a weekly interview show that's on 17 stations. But being away from that daily sports talk show, Mark Ovenden and I have been friends for a long time. And I approached him a few times saying, let's do a show. I think that with the technology being what it is, we can syndicate it. We can be on a few stations. We can only do an hour. It'll be fun. He goes, I, because Mark also, he's the sports director at KDLT. He's been in the market 38 years now. And he also works at an ad agency uh, in the morning. And so he's got a lot going on. And Mark turned me down a couple of times. He said, you know, I want fewer jobs, not more jobs. <laughs> and I said, well, Mark, if this works, maybe here down the road you can leave one or both of those jobs. And so in 2010, he finally agreed. And, and we put it together, and we got five stations on the air. We do broadcast it out of Sioux Falls, but it is certainly a regional you know, approach. We're, uh, uh, and one of the reasons is that, that we aren't on West River. We could be, but we just aren't because I'm not sure that we could satisfy West River listeners with enough content. We are on basically from Pier up to Aberdeen, down to Yankton in Sioux Falls, along the Eastern Corridor, because that's where the people are. That's where South Dakota State is. That's where Northern is. That's where, you know, that's where the bodies are. Augustana, USF, Dakota Wesleyan, et cetera. And so that's why we are, are on where we are. But that's how it got started was, hey, let's you and I do a show together, and we'll just see how it goes. So that's, that's how it started. And in 2010, we're actually we're coming up on our sixth anniversary here just uh, in a few weeks. And the concept of you do this, you don't work for the radio station, correct me if I'm wrong here, but you buy your own airtime, you sell your own ads, and you do everything independently, you're your own boss, you don't answer to anyone but each other. Was that a really big risk when you went into that right away? I, it, it's not, because, uh, because the one thing that you said that I need to correct you on, we do not buy the airtime. We are in a situation where we have taken advantage of the fact that so many stations don't have the opportunity to have locally produced programming. And so consequently, this is a straight barter show. We sell the advertising, and then our advertising airs on all of our affiliates. We're now on 11 affiliates, but we don't have to pay the radio station anything. We give them 52 minutes of what sounds like locally produced content, they have eight minutes to do with that as they want, that they can sell or they can run the news or, or whatever the case may be. So that's how the difference is. It, it wasn't a big risk. Because of that, we had almost no overhead going in. So do you deal with demands from the program directors and the general managers at your affiliates? You're not covering our area enough. You're not covering Mitchell or Aberdeen enough. How do you handle that situation? We, I, I've known so many of these guys for so long 
that the only thing I ever hear from them is, hey, did you know about this story in our area? And they'll send me a contact or they'll send Mark a contact and we'll go from there. They never once in the, in the nearly six years of the show have said, you're not doing enough of this. And it's, it's been wonderful. They appreciate the fact that they've got a locally produced program that talks about regional stuff. And it's not just South Dakota. We talk Twins. We talk Denver Broncos. We talk, you know, Cornhuskers, Gophers, anything in this region. We do, you know, a lot of those things. And plus, there are, there are subjects, and, and this is what it boils down to also for, for us. There are subjects we know darn well, but not everybody is interesting. Not everybody is interested in, let me correct myself, but if we can make that interesting, that's our job. That's what we do. We try to make that story interesting, even to someone who isn't interested in that particular topic. We try to find those angles. We try to do those types of things. And again, I think listeners have learned that, okay, listen, I'm not a Broncos fan, but you know, They've got the play-by-play guy from the Broncos on. That's, that's not bad. And they also kind of know that, okay, even if I'm not interested in this story or this topic, pretty soon they'll have one on that I am interested in. You know, I just have to wait a little while, and, and they'll get to something that, that I'm interested in. And I think that's also unique to this part of the world. We actually, as much as we've got our rivalries, we've got State and U, and we've got Dakota Westland and Dakota State, et cetera, we still all kind of root for each other. You know, we, we still all go ahead and, and, you know, because there are so many South Dakota kids on so many of these teams, or we've got the South Dakota angle for some of these, these major stories that we're doing, I think that's part of the equation, too. So you do play-by-play now on a freelance basis for South Dakota Public public Broadcasting on TV. You do some stuff for uh, Midco Sports. You don't do a whole lot of play-by-play in on the radio. You actually recently said you had to get back into it, and you felt really, really rusty from it. How, what is the biggest difference for play-by-play on radio and on TV? Play-by-play on radio is world's tougher than play-by-play on TV, because play-by-play on TV, you don't need near as many words. And, and I'll be honest, Logan, I've gotten pretty good at being a TV play-by-play guy, because I always had a, minimal, a minimalist style anyway. I, I was not the guy that was going to jam in a ton of stats and the play-by-play. I always figured there are those guys out there that are great at doing both. I figured early I'm not one of them, but I don't have to tell you that a guy has nine rebounds to tell you that he's dominating the boards, for instance, since we're in basketball season. I could just go ahead and, and tell the story as opposed to giving you the stats to back it up. Uh, radio takes a heck of a lot more words. And TV, the picture is telling you a large part of the story, uh, and so consequently you can just add in a few highlights and, and you know get the names right and that sort of thing. I you're right. I discovered here recently that after five years of not doing radio play-by-play, I frankly wasn't very good at it anymore. I, I wasn't bad at it back in the day. I you know, won some awards and stuff, but um, that's, that's no longer my strength. There's, 
there's a lot more words that need to be said than what I particularly said on, on that evening of doing radio play-by-play. So take us through your your process of preparation for both radio and TV and kind of contrast how they differ. Gosh, uh, I'm not sure that they do anymore, and, and part of this is just because of the fact I've been at it so long, if, if that makes sense. Um, it used to be that when we were doing state tournaments, you know, Craig and I, we would actually, we've, we've done an awful lot of work in the past that is paying off now. Uh, we, we spent years going to the South Dakota Coaches Association convention every year, and we'd do our show from there. And we would go ahead and, and meet all of these coaches and meet them in social situations as well as during the day. And all of a sudden, let's say 2005, uh, we've been broadcasting up at the state coaches convention. Well, then that fall, all of a sudden, Parker football, for instance, is good. All right? Well, we had met the coach from Parker that summer. And so, therefore, when we sent him an email or called him, he felt a lot more comfortable sharing information with us or being on the air or, or you know, whatever the case may be. So, consequently, we're still getting paid off for some of that work now. We've gotten to know so many of the coaches, and now they know. Back in the day, you had to actually call people and say, hey, we're doing your games, tell us about your team, or we'd call opposing coaches, what type of style do they play, that sort of thing. So, consequently, now, when we send an email, hey, we've got you guys on TV this year, tell me about your team, they know we want more than just the starters and the stats. We want to know, did their dad play in a state tournament? Did their mom play in a state tournament? Did the kid, you know, is he also all-state chorus? Or is, is she, you know, a state place winner in track? They know us well enough now. And again, the advantage of living in a state with 850,000 people, they know us well enough now that they know what we're looking for. We also, we know several of the parents in, in some of the towns there are times, uh, let me tell you, I've got a buddy of mine down in Winter that when Winter plays in the Dome, I get seven pages on every, you know, seven pages worth of information on the, the kids. Not necessarily as a player or any of their staff, but their background, who their parents were, did, did grandpa coach, you know, that sort of thing. So when it comes to the preparation, a lot of it is just simply the fact that we've been doing this long enough that people already know what we want. I still, you know, Tom Frederick is a, a great play-by-play guy in the state of South Dakota. He does the University of Sioux Falls. Tom is one of these guys, when he goes on his walks every night, he memorizes the entire roster of the opposing team. And he does that for every single opposing team. I don't think I could ever operate like that. That's not the way my mind is built. I want to remember the stories, and I want to remember the highlights, and I want to remember the, you know, just to focus on the kids and and to make that as big of a deal for them. Uh, My my radio play-by-play for the other night, uh, frankly, wasn't very good, and that's one of the reasons that I wasn't very good, plainly and simply. So, again, long answer to a short question. So you you talked a little bit earlier about someone who had to do uh, reel by reel and use a razor blade to edit 
to edit stories and edit packages. How has the industry changed in your, I believe you said, 40 years as a sports radio guy, multiple decades? How has the industry changed uh, over that time for you here in the Midwest? Uh, it's, it's unbelievable, the technology, the way it has changed. But I still believe that the more things change, the more things stay the same. The bottom line on any of this, of all of the stuff that we talk about, at least in my opinion, and other broadcasters may you know, argue this, but I still think that the bottom line is that even though we have 15 new ways to communicate things, even though we have all of these different platforms, et cetera, it still comes down to a person needs to be a communicator. That's still what is going to get heard. Even with all of the different ways to deliver that message, the messenger, uh, the messenger is still the guy that needs to be clear and concise. And I think from the time... 150 years ago, I always make the joke that 150 years ago, before radio, had I been born then, I would have been the town crier. I would have been the guy climbing up to the top of the, you know, stand in the middle of town, yelling, it's 6 o'clock, time to go home. Now, I probably would have, you know, added in a a few extra tidbits on that, (laughs) but that still, I still would have been the communicator, because that's who I am. And I think sometimes that gets lost. We get, we get in so big of a hurry to be first with the story. We get so big of a hurry to be, you know, concise and on top of the, you know, all of those things. It still boils down to communication. And that, to me, is if, if there's anything that's ever, you know, going to be said about me, I hope that what is said about me is I'm a communicator. So one of the things you said earlier in this podcast that I thought was really interesting was you said that at 58 years old, you still didn't know if you had the big break you were hoping for. What opportunities are you still looking for at this stage of your career? I'm not. I'm, I'm perfectly content. But when I look back to 10-year-old me or 18-year-old me or 24-year-old me or 30-year-old me, for that matter, you know, again, when I was thinking, well, I'll go take a job in Wisconsin, or I'll, you know, since I got in with this company, I'll go down and do Wichita State, you know, basketball. My heavens, how great would that be? That was the, the height of the Missouri Valley Conference, for instance. But I have learned just to appreciate where I am. Uh, Logan, I am on blessed to have the opportunities that I have had, to meet the people that I have met, to to do South Dakota public broadcasting for all these years. Here's a prime example. Of, what, three years ago now, I'm down in Vermilion at the, you know, covering the games in the Dakota Dome. And I go out afterwards, and I'm at Carrie's, one of the bars downtown, and I'm just sitting there, you know, having a drink and catching up. There weren't many fans around or anything, you know, to, to talk with at, about the games or anything. Uh, you know, fans of the teams it is what I'm talking about. Well, all of a sudden, a guy sends a, sends a drink over my way, and I look down, and it's Louis Krogman. Well, for those that don't know, Louis Krogman is the all-time leading scorer in, in South Dakota basketball history. And Louis Krogman and I have never met, but he sends me down a drink. He happens to be in carries that night. And I wave him over, and I said, well, 
Louis, that's very nice. I'm Mike Henriksen. It's really nice to meet you. I enjoyed, you know, watching you play. And he goes, Mike, he said, what you don't understand is with all the state tournaments that he was in and his brothers, the tournaments that we covered, and we didn't even cover every one of them because there's a rotation, but he goes, you're in our house six or seven times a year because we're going back and we're playing those tapes or we're playing those DVDs. He goes, we completely know who you are. We, you're, you're a friend of ours. Uh, I've had coaches now, guys that are, you know, 30, 35 years old that are, are head coaches or assistant coaches, and they'll come up and talk about something that I said about them in a tournament when I was on the air. And, and they'll go, and we go back and we play that over, and we, you know, we, we just we appreciate what you said at the time or whatever the case may be. So I am no longer looking for that big break. I, believe me, I grew up wanting to be the voice of the Huskers. I would love to do play-by-play for the Kansas City Royals. Those opportunities have passed. I made my decision long ago to no longer chase those. I am just enjoying the devil out of all of the opportunities and the wonderful people that I get to work with. I'm a member of a great fraternity. The players, the coaches, the fans in this state, I'm a member of that fraternity, and I don't really have many athletic skills. I was an average athlete at best, and yet somehow because of the profession that I chose all those years ago, I get to be a part of this amazing fraternity and enjoy and appreciate the history that, that you know we're seeing on a regular basis and research some of that history and, and bring that into my broadcast now. It's just absolutely wonderful. I, I never imagined doing what I'm doing now. But honest to heavens, it has been the biggest blessing I could ever imagine. So I know you're just about running out of time. Do you got time for one or two more questions? I do. Okay. Have you passed up opportunities along the way to stay where you are following up on that last answer? Yes. Do you ever I, do you I, ever look back and wonder what if? I do. I absolutely do. There's no questions. And I'm not going to tell you what those opportunities are. Because of the fact I don't want, the same way that I wouldn't want to know I got a job if I was somebody's third choice. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, so I'm not going to tell you what those opportunities were because the people that ended up taking those opportunities were wonderful, and I'm not going to you know, mention, oh, gosh, I could have been this. But, uh, but, yeah, I wonder. But at the same time, I don't regret. You know, at least I don't today as I talk to you. Maybe in the in the dark, deep recesses, you know, one of these days if we're sitting in a bar somewhere, I may go, oh, why didn't I take, you know. But, no, in the big picture, I, I don't regret it. What do you do 40 years into the, your career to still improve your craft and get better? This is one of the reasons that I will not be doing play-by-play for very many years. It is because of the fact that I don't do much to get better anymore. And once I lost that desire to keep getting better, I still prep, I still do all those things that I used to do, but I no longer go back and and do the things that I did to get me where I'm at. I no longer go back and critique those tapes. I never go back and and listen to my broadcasts. I, I don't do those things. I still pay attention Am I picking up a crotch phrase? Am I, you know, using this too much? Did I focus too much on, on this particular aspect? 
I still pay attention to that in my head. But once I no longer started doing that, just within the last year or so, I realized that it is probably time to step aside from doing the play-by-play after another year or so, just because of the fact I don't do those things to get better. And to me, that's a sure sign that it's time to stop and let those people that are working their butt off, just like I did back then, and there were plenty of people my age at the time that, that let me have some opportunities and gave me some advice. If sports has taught us anything, I hope it has taught me when to get out. You know, there are way too many guys in sports, boxing comes to mind, baseball, whatever it may be, that hang around too long. And I don't want to be one of those guys. I'll still keep doing the, the talk show because I enjoy it. I'm a good interviewer. The key to being a good interviewer, plainly and simply, is listening, which you have shown wonderful tendencies of in this interview, by the way. Um, I still enjoy that. I still, you know, will listen to those types of things and critique myself and, and listen and say, hey, where did I miss where I could have gotten a better question in? But I don't do that with play-by-play anymore, and so consequently that's when I know it's kind of time to, to, to be looking towards the end. Who are your favorite broadcasters? A couple national people, and then maybe a couple local regional people that people around the country haven't heard of. Dick Enberg. Uh, love Dick Enberg. Uh, he's just as good as it gets. Vern Lundquist. Vern Lundquist is, is so personable on the air. What you get on the air with him is exactly what you get off the air. Those are a couple of my favorite national guys. Dan Shulman, by the way, as far as the younger guy, younger compared to me, Dan Shulman is as good as it gets also on a national level. Uh, in South Dakota, I'm going to tell you that I've got an awful lot of friends in this business, and an awful lot of them are wonderful at what they do, and an awful lot of them are great at play-by-play. But none of them are better than Tim Smith at KMIT and Mitchell. And I don't get a chance to say that much because he's not one of our affiliates, but I've told him that several times. Uh, there's a lot that are as good, but nobody's better. And Tom Frederick, another guy that I mentioned. Tom has been doing it for a lot of years, and he's excellent at it, too. So there you go. And Mark Ovenden. I'm a fan of Mark Ovenden. Um, Mark is good. Mark knows everybody in the state. Mark knows their parents. Mark broadcasts their parents, for crying out loud. Mark still does putting the scores up on the big screen during his TV sportscast because he knows how many people in South Dakota are watching on a Friday night at a bar or a restaurant. They can't cram themselves towards the bottom of that, that crawl on a TV screen. He still puts them up on the big screen because he understands people that way. So... Those are just a few, and I'm leaving several out, but those are a few that, that spring to mind. All right. The final thing I asked everybody that comes on this podcast is because it's about uh, self-improvement and trying to get better and allow other people listening to it to kind of hear the critique of it. What is your critique? How would you grade this interview? I would grade it excellently. I think you did a wonderful job. Like I say, the key to being an interviewer is being a listener. Being prepared is, is fine. But that's, Mark and I find ourselves so often times where, you know, we'll have some guy on and he'll go, well, you know, then that, that time I was in Argentina, you know, and that worked out well. And, and both Mark and I will go, whoa, 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 what? You know, we didn't know about the Argentina thing, and we'll, we'll drag him back to that because you, you never know 
what direction it's going to take. But no, I, I think it was it was fun for me, and you did an excellent job, and, and the follow-ups and et cetera were outstanding. I just appreciate the opportunity because I don't take a whole lot of time to talk about me, even though I really, really enjoy it. Because <laughs> I'm in radio, and I've got an ego, and I'm not ashamed of that. I just try not to take it for a walk every day. That's, you know, one of the biggest differences. But, no, it, it was fun. This was great fun, and you did a really good job. That's one of the things I found out about I picked a good niche because it's really easy to interview broadcasters because they all love to talk. Very, very true. That's absolutely the case. Okay, once again, we are visiting with Mike Henriksen. He is the co-host of Calling All Sports, and he's also the owner of Sportsmax. And before you leave, Mike, I need you to give us, you know, a live read to finish off this podcast, similar to what you do on your show. (laughs) Really? Um, Well, listen, here's one of the things I know. I know for a fact that Lewis Drug has been around for 75 years. I know for a fact that they are locally owned and operated, and they're now second-generation management. I know for a fact that if you go to Lewis Drug, whatever the 38 Lewis Drug locations are, you're going to find somebody who actually knows what's going on in that store and where things are located. I know that they're involved in the local community. I know that they are always sponsoring so many things in each and every town, and it doesn't matter the season, and it doesn't matter the occasion. Lewis Drug is your first stop, and they have been for 75 years. And he was only able to do that because he filled up on Arby's driving his billion Toyota <laughs> and after he got done golfing at Great Life. So. <laughs> All true. I've just given him a hard time. He is known for dragging out uh, some creative live reads on his show. Mike, thanks so much for joining us here. Logan, this was a delight. Continued success. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I wish I had your future, but I'll take my past for right now. I enjoy the devil out of that, too. Also, I give everybody a chance to plug their own shows and their own Twitter accounts and all that fun stuff. And for whatever reason, I think it's because we were running out of time. He had a time limit that he had to be on the show, and I forgot to give him a chance to plug his own stuff. And I'm pretty sure I can guess what he would have done, so I'm just going to do it for him. You can listen to his podcasted show archives on callingallsportssd.com. You can also check out his other project, SportsMax, at SportsMaxRadio.com. You can also follow Mike Hendrickson on Twitter at Mike Hendrickson. That's M-I-K-E-H-E-N-R-I-K-S-E-N. So give him a shout-out and a follow. It's always fun to see what's going on down in the Sioux Falls neck of the woods if you're a South Dakota fan listening to this show. This has been the Say the Damn Score podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes. Just look up Say the Damn Score. You can, of course, see it on the website, saythedamnscore.com, and you can sign up for an email subscription, which I certainly encourage you to do. It's on the top right portion of the page. And now we're on Stitcher, so we're available in another outlet as well. I'm Logan Anderson. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the podcast, and don't forget to Say the Damn Score.